Hey, good morning, everyone. Have you ever had a time in your life where you just felt helpless or you just felt overwhelmed and maybe maybe you're feeling maybe you're feeling that way today. What I want to look at today is we've been studying the book of Jonah and just a, a short book, just four chapters. I mean, we all know pretty much the story of Jonah. We always think about the big fish and there's so much within that story. Speaking of God's character, how God deals with the world, how God deals with us, how God deals with our shortcomings, how God has mercy on a world that doesn't deserve it, how God is an everlasting God who desires to not only reach you, but to reach our world with his love and his mercy. And the, what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at chapter 2 of Jonah. And we're going to look at the part of the story of Jonah where Jonah is actually in the belly of the big fish. And this is an interesting uh, conversation that Jonah has with God. And, and, and all the things that led up to Jonah in this position of being at the lowest of the lowest of his life. And how God dealt with Noah when he was desperate, when he was in distress, uh, when he had nowhere else to turn but God. And we're going we're gonna to look at that. And, and, and there are, are times in our lives where we can feel the same way. We, we can feel like we're distressed. We feel like, man, I'm at my wit's end. And I want you to know that we actually can find God in those times. I think for many people, they feel that when they're going through a real difficult time, a situation that they can't describe or understand, many times we feel like, well, God's furthest away. That God can only be close to me when I'm sitting at church and listening to great worship. Wasn't the worship great this morning? And just worshiping the Lord. And we feel like, well, that's the time I'm closer. Or when I'm up early in the morning, like I was at four o'clock this morning, by the way, I just couldn't, I woke up and I'm like, okay. I heard the birds chirping. I said, all right, God, let's do this. And, um, you're early in the morning and you're sipping your cappuccino or you're having your hot coffee and you're doing your devotions and you feel close to the Lord. And sometimes we look at those times as being close to the Lord. But I want you to know that even in your times of distress and your times of loneliness, you can find God's grace in those times. And it's many times that God wants to speak the loudest to us during those times. And that's what we're going to see in, 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 the, in the story of Jonah today. And one thing I appreciate about the Word of God is that it does not hide the difficulties we go through or the struggle with sin that we go through. Um, it's very easy to just feel like a failure, especially if you're trying to chase after God and you're trying to follow God and trying to be a Christian and do all the right things and check all the, all the boxes. And many times we just feel like, you know what, I made a mistake or I blew it today, and I feel like such a failure. Do you realize that God's grace is there too for you? I think, I think many times we look at Christianity as just a bunch of boxes that we have to check, and as long as I'm doing this, and as long as I'm not doing this, as long as I'm doing this, and then it's just this rat race that we run trying to pursue God in all the wrong ways. I want you to know that God pursues you that he pursues you with his grace and his mercy and his love, and he will never, ever give up on you. And I want you, I want you to see, we're going to see this in the book of, of Jonah in chapter 2, that God didn't give up on Jonah. He, he, God had every right to give up on him. 
Because he was a knucklehead. He was disobedient. He was running from God. God had every right to say, okay, you want to do this? Okay, well then fine, go your way. But he doesn't. He continues to pursue him and pursues a city who was wicked. He says, Jonah, I want you to go there. And that's the story of Jonah, God calling this prophet who lived some 700 years before Christ to go to a wicked city called Nineveh and to preach repentance to them. If they would repent, God would have mercy on them. And, and what we discovered over the last couple weeks is that Jonah didn't want to go. He wanted God just to judge them. Hey, God, give them what is due to them. And so what Jonah does is he goes the opposite way. He doesn't go to Nineveh. He travels the opposite way. And there he finds himself in a ship. We talked about it last week. God sent a big storm. All the sailors are like, why is this storm happening? And Jonah says, I can tell you why it's happening. It's me. Just throw me overboard and the storm will stop. And that's exactly what happened. And so he gets thrown overboard. And then, and then God sends this large fish to swallow Jonah up. And in chapter 2, this is where Jonah's at. He's, he's at the bottom of this fish. <laughs> You, you, you basically can't get any lower in your life than sitting at the bottom of a fish's stinky belly. Now, I don't know how many fishermen are out there today, but if, if you fillet your own fish, right, and you open it up and you by mistake cut the stomach or, or the, I, listen, I don't know anything about hunting, but for those of you, when you, when you have to dress the deer or whatever out in the field and you gotta cut it open with your buck knife. Now, if I'm wrong, correct me after the service. But I know if you cut it the wrong way and open up the wrong things, it smells really good, doesn't it? Right? It, it stinks, right? It's the same with gut and a fish. It, it stinks. So here, here, Jonah, he, he, you can't get any lower than where he is right now. And here God is going to chase him with his grace. And let him know that I still love you, Jonah. I am not giving up on you. And it's in this pit, literally in the pit of the belly of the fish, Jonah finds the grace of God. Jonah finds the salvation of God. And I want you to know, no matter where you are in your life, you can find God. You can find him. He, he's there and, and, and he'll pursue you. But Jonah woke up. Jonah woke up to God's grace in the pit of the belly of the big fish. And that's what I want to look at today. So you can look up at the screens. You can, we're going we're gonna to look at this in Jonah chapter 2. We're going to look at the first nine verses. And uh, we know that, that Jonah disobeyed God's calling. And he's running from God's calling. That, and that's basically what he's doing. And, and let's all, can we all be honest? At one time or another, we have all run from God. We run from his calling. We, we, we were disobedient. We knew what we were supposed to do, but we didn't do it, right? We've all, can we all say amen this morning? We've all done that. Okay. Whether, whether it was our pride or our stubbornness, we've all been there. So here Jonah, because of his stubbornness and disobedience, is sitting in a pit of the belly of this large fish. And because of his reluctancy, he finds himself there in this pit in his life. Okay, so let's read what happens. And Jonah is completely honest, but he does something incredible in these verses as we're going to read. So let's look at verses 1 through 9, Jonah chapter 2. It says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord. In my distress. Not when I was happy. Not when everything was hunky-dory. Not when everything was perfect. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and guess what? He answered me. 
He answered me. He will answer you. He will. If you call upon his name, he will answer you. And so from the deep, from the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me and I said, I have banished from your sight. Yet I looked again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Seaweed was wrapped, stinky seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountain I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from the God who loves God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. And what I vowed, I will make good. And I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Amen to God's word. So let, let, let's see what, what's going on here because there's some pretty incredible things that are going, going on here and I want to unfold this for you. So in the bottom of the fish, Jonah calls out to God and, and you can't get any lower. And I want you to see something very significant here. Very significant. And I think this is where we can miss it in our walk with the Lord. When something goes wrong in our lives, it's easy just to turn to like, God's punishing me. God doesn't like me. This is, what did I do wrong in my life, God? Why are all these bad things happening to me? What can I do to change this, Lord? I need to act better. I need to be better. I need to do better. I need to go to church more. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to do, 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 do. Can I, can I just say one word to that? Okay, listen to me. None of that stuff is wrong. None of that stuff is wrong. We should pray. We should want to read God's word. What is my motivation? Is my motivation to try to appease God through my works of righteousness? Don't do it. Don't do it. Because if you try to appease God through your works of righteousness, the pit will never be filled. You will never be satisfied. You will continue to chase God and feel empty day after day after day because you will never, ever get to the point where you feel worthy enough to be accepted by him. Let me just tell you right off the bat this morning, you are accepted. Not because of your works, not because you came to church this morning, which I'm very glad you came to church this morning, okay? You are accepted through the work of Jesus Christ which was already provided for you through the cross 2,000 years ago. Get that in your heads. You are received, you are loved, you are accepted because of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more you can do to gain God's acceptance. Everything we're doing now is just out of gratitude for what Christ has already done for you. And my, my hope for you, the reason why you came to church this morning, is just say, I just want to worship Jesus. Maybe you were dragged here today. I'm glad you came anyway, <laughs> right? But listen, coming to church should not be a checklist of my righteousness. 
Coming to church should be an act that says, God, I love you and I'm so grateful for what you did for me and I want to be with God's people and I want to worship you and I want to learn from your word. Not because it gives me brownie points in heaven. Not because God has a big chart up in heaven that marks my attendance every time I come to church, right? We got to get over that church. We've got to get over that. And so I want you to realize the fish wasn't God's judgment towards Jonah for his disobedience, even though he was disobedient. The fish was God's grace to save him. Let me see if I can explain this. I've been up early this morning, so I don't know what I'm saying today, but it may be crazy. Let, let, me, let me explain it this way. Everything that we do should be in response to the grace of God. So what do I mean by this? So, Pastor, what are you talking about? Why, why share everything? We don't earn or deserve anything. Jonah, because of his disobedience is sitting in the belly of the whale. Jonah doesn't deserve God's grace right now. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve God's salvation, but, but because of God's grace and mercy, he sends a big fish to show him that he still loves him, that he's still, that he's still pursuing him, that he still cares for him. I think sometimes we think, does God discipline us? Absolutely. Is God disciplining Jonah right here? Absolutely, because he loves Jonah. It's not because he hates Jonah. It's not because he's trying to make Jonah's life miserable. He's trying to grab Jonah's attention to his love and his grace that the reason for the fish was actually to save him. Save him. Not just physically, but save him spiritually. And sometimes the big fish in our life are to save us on many different levels. Maybe just, because we always want the physical saving, right? God, just get me out of this situation. I don't want to go through this any longer. We always say that, right? But God says, you know what? Barton, if you just stay a little longer, if you just dwell a little bit longer, I'm going to show you so much more. Because the saving sometimes is for our good. It's for our spiritual good. I just want to get out of the physical trauma that's part of it but god says no barden just linger in my linger here because my grace is available and i'm going to show you something so deep that you would never otherwise experience if you weren't sitting in this belly right now this fish so the fish wasn't god's judgment towards jonah for his disobedience the fish was god's grace to save him and sometimes difficult situations is god's grace reaching out to us what we see is an incredible example of God's grace in the New Testament in the life of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul's experiencing this thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it is, but he cries out to the Lord, prays and prays and prays three times. God, take away this thorn. Take away this thorn. I don't want this thorn. What is this? God, I don't need this. I don't need this. I don't want this. We've all prayed that before. And God allowed Paul to experience his grace during a time of discouragement and distress. And this is what Paul learned through the thorn. Now, it never says that the thorn was removed, but listen to what Paul said. This is what God said to him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my strengths and all the things I'm good at and how awesome I am. What did he say? My weakness. My weakness, I'm going to boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my 
weakness, in this thorn, whatever it might be, insults, hardships, he names them all, persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm actually what? Strong. What God was trying to teach Paul is that, listen, Paul, I love you. It's not that Paul did anything wrong, but from keeping Paul from becoming too enthused with himself, to be, not to become conceited because he, he's Paul. He's the apostle Paul. He saw a lot of stuff. He did a lot of stuff. But to keep him humble and to keep him seeking God and to keep his strength in the Lord and him alone, God allowed this thorn to come into his life so that Paul would rely on the power of God and not himself. It was the love of God that allowed the thorn to come into his life to keep Paul dependent on the Lord. Paul would not experience the strength and the grace of Christ if it wasn't for the thorn. If it wasn't for the belly of the fish, Jonah wouldn't experience the grace and the love and the salvation of God. And I want you to see that God's grace is all over the situation because God doesn't give up on Jonah. And I want you to see how the disposition changes in Jonah. Why does Jonah change? What, why, isn't he at, at, why isn't he complaining and just miserable? Something changed in Jonah as he's in the bottom of the fish. Something changes about his disposition because you would think if I'm sitting in the belly of a big fish and I've got seaweed around my head, I don't know if I'd be real happy in praising God at that moment. I, I don't know. How many of you praise God when you're going through a dip? You're just all, thank you, Jesus, for this thorn. I just love you, Lord. Thank you for the seaweed and this stinky fish. Thank you, Lord. I just worship you and bless your name. We're not that way, are we? Come on, church. Is anybody out there in that o'clock group? Okay, okay. So listen, what, 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 what changes in his circumstance? And why didn't God just stop the storm while Jonah was on the boat? See, God wanted Jonah to rely completely on him. So he sends the fish. So Jonah cries out and says, from the depth of the grave, I called out to you. Jonah uses this word deep to describe his pain. He's at the bottom. There's nowhere to go. The ocean is both, we, all, we know the ocean is both a very beautiful place and a very terrifying place, right? You, you can have deep blue waters, but it's a different place if, if, if you're in a storm, and I don't know if any of you have ever been out in the middle of the ocean when you can see no land. And it, it's, I don't, for me, that is just, man, it's scary. And I, I did a missions trip when I was a youth pastor with 25 teens on a 60-foot sailboat. I don't know what I was thinking, okay? I was young and dumb at that point in my life. So I had this great idea. Hey, let's go on this uh, 60-foot sailboat. We'll take all these teenagers with us. There's no shower on the boat. This is a great idea for a week, right? So I take all these teenagers, and we, we go to these different small islands in the Bahamas. And it was a great trip. We, we did VBS uh, work on all these, uh, worked with churches, and we painted basketball courts. It was really an amazing trip. And the captain that took us, I said, what's the, you know, we're out there in the middle of nowhere. You can't see anything. You don't see any land at, at, at many points. You sleep under the stars, which is really cool. And I said, what's the one thing that makes you the most nervous when you're out here in the boat? I'm like, I had to ask that. You know, never ask a question you don't want the answer to, right? 
And so he says, well, I'll be honest with you, this time of the year is in July. You know, you can get hurricanes, which there was none on the horizon. But you can get these pop-up storms and you can get water spouts. Those make me nervous because you can see pretty far around you when you're out on, on, on the boat. And I'm like, okay, sure enough, guess what happens? Within that day, a storm came up on the horizon and there was a water spout. I'm like, oh my, are you kidding me? And we're sailing right towards it, right? And I'm, I'm looking at, you know, if the captain's not nervous, I'm not nervous. And all of a sudden, the captain says, I want everybody to get below deck. I'm like, oh my. So I'm in a fetal position, sucking my thumb in the corner of the boat, right? All the teenagers got saved. They were praying. <laughs> Revival broke out on the boat. And uh, sure enough, the storm passed. Praise you, Jesus. That's why I'm here today. The storm passed and all the teenagers went back to complaining and arguing with each other. Anyway, but, but you, you realize just how helpless you are. That's where God wants us to be. That's where God wanted Paul to be. That's where God wanted Jonah to be. And, it, and it's in this helplessness and in the distress of Jonah's life that he cries out to the Lord. And the Lord hears him. And the Lord saves him. And, and, and what I want you to see uh, as we unfold this story is, is how the story begins to shift and the language of Jonah begins to shift. So, so what we see is the point of the large fish is to show Jonah that God is going to provide. There, there's God's provisions there. And there's something that begins to change in Jonah. Um, you, God's going through these extreme lengths to save Jonah. God comes right in the midst of this storm when Jonah's at his bottom and, um, and saves him. But it's interesting, the language here, and I, and I want us to you know, understand that we can walk around with so much shame and guilt, and it's so easier, so much easier for us to turn from God instead of turning towards God. And, and, and Jonah could have been just at the bottom here by just saying, this is all my fault. I'm, I'm so stupid. It's because of my disobedience, and I'm just going to die because, because I deserve it. But something changed. He, he didn't turn away from God, even in his guilt and his shame. He didn't turn away. He turned towards God. And what's incredible about Jonah's prayer is where he starts and where he finishes. This is key right now. What, what I'm about to give you now is food. All right? Listen. For those of you who struggle in your life, and you struggle, all of us do. I'm going to put us all in the same category here. Struggle in your spiritual walk to try to find consistency in your walk. Where one day you feel real good and the next day you feel like a failure. One day you feel like you've conquered this habit and then the next day that, that habit conquers you. One day you feel like, God, you're talking to me, and the next day you feel like he's a million miles away. One day you feel like your prayers are just reaching heaven, the next day you just feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling. Am I hitting home with anybody here? Okay, okay. So, so let's, let, let's, let's dig down on this. So he starts at the bottom. He's in despair. The waves are over him. The seaweed is around his head. But verse 6, verse 6 everything changes. Verse 6 is the key for you and I. Here's what changes. What he does is he turns from his despair and he turns to God. And what he says is, 
but you, but you brought my life up from the pit. Now, he's still in the pit. Now, I want you to understand something. He's not saying this prayer when, when he's back on dry land. He's praising God in the pit. Boy, that would have been a good sermon title. Man, I missed it. <laughs> praising God in the pit. You guys can all use that on your, you know, you can use that yourself. But listen, he's not, he's not on dry land at this point. He's still there. The seaweed's still on his head. The, the circumstances have not changed. Are you, are you following with me? Are you tracking with me? Nothing's changed. But what changed? Jonah changed. See, we wait and we wait and we wait for my circumstances to change when God's saying, no, I want to change you first. Because you know what? You may wake up the next day and those circumstances are still there. You may wake up a week and those circumstances are still there. What changes? Those temptations are still going to be there. Amen? What changed? What changed? Jonah changed. Jonah changed. He said, you brought me up out of the pit. Before he was even brought up out of the pit, he's saying, you brought me out of the pit. And he says these words that change everything in verse 7. Verse 7 says, Jonah said, and I remembered you, Lord. I remembered you. I know you haven't lost track of me. I know that you're a good God. And he says, my prayer rose to you. What Jonah did here is Jonah's confidence wasn't in himself, but in a God who could save. Are you hearing? Now, now he, he's speaking these words before God has the fish vomit him up on dry land. Okay, He's saying all this before any of this happens. He's, his confidence isn't in himself, but a God who could save. Now, what does Jonah do? What Jonah is doing, even though the circumstances are still the same, what Jonah does is he encourages himself in the Lord. He reminds himself of who God is. And what he reminds himself is, he reminds himself that the Lord is good. That the Lord is good. When you feel like you've let the Lord down for the hundredth time, I want you to remind yourself that God is still good. That he hasn't given up on you. That he hasn't lost track of you. You may feel low. You may feel like you're in the pit. You may feel like you've disappointed God. He's not given up on you though. His grace and his mercy is there. And what happened to Jonah is this. The reason why his circumstances changed, not necessarily at this point what he's surrounded with because he's still in the fish, but what changed was his faith. His faith wasn't in his circumstances. His faith was in God. Faith rose in Jonah because he remembered the promises of God. You see, faith is not wishful thinking or, or wishing something into existence. Faith is the things that we can be sure of, that God is who he says he is. And it's not trusting your goodness, but it's trusting his goodness. We all fail at times, but God never fails us. See, that's what we have to remind ourselves, that God is faithful. Even when we are unfaithful, God is still faithful. He's not going to turn his back and say, okay, well, you know, three strikes, you're out. Sorry. He's not. 
And this is what we see in the story of Jonah. See, faith is calling out to God and trusting his character, trusting who God is. And so what does it mean by trusting God's character? Let me give you a couple of things here. This is what we know about God through the scriptures. We know that God is all-knowing. We know that God is all-powerful. We know that God is everywhere. He hears you. You may think like, does God know me? Does God care about me? Yep, he does. He hears you. He knows you. We know that God is holy. We know that he is perfect in giving justice and mercy. We know that he's compassionate and kind and gracious. We know that he's good and that he's just. We know that God is sovereign, that he is in complete control. You see, At the end of the prayer, Jonah knows one thing. He knows that no one else can save him except God. And here's what I would tell you. Stop trying to save yourself. Stop stop trying to save yourself. I know some of you, you're struggling with something in your life. You're struggling with a temptation. You're struggling with a habit. You're struggling with all these things, and you're trying to do it yourself through your own strength. Where the power of God comes into your life is when you give up and you relinquish that control to God over and over and over again. That you can find God's grace and mercy over and over and over again. Why? Because he loves you and he cares for you. And he's an everlasting God. And he's a gracious God. And we feel like, well, God, I messed up again and I messed up again. Why would you receive me? He says, come on back. Open arms. I'll receive you as my son and my daughter. You see, faith is trusting the character of God over your circumstances. It's trusting the character of God over your failures, over your screw-ups, how many times you've messed up trusting the promises and the character of God, knowing that our God is a forgiving, gracious God. And so what Job does is he ends the prayer by saying, salvation comes from the Lord, period. That's my only hope. I can't hope in myself. Um, I'm not getting myself out of this situation. See, I want you to see the picture of Jonah in the belly of the great fish as complete hopelessness and despair where Jonah couldn't do a thing without the grace and mercy and salvation of God. That's a perfect picture of us coming to Christ. In fact, the word Jesus, the name for Jesus means the Lord is salvation. If you think you can come to Jesus with a little bit of you and a little bit of your righteousness, ain't going to work. We don't bring anything to the table. Jesus has already done it for us. We come broken. We come with all our stuff, all our messiness, and we simply say, Jesus, save me. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your help. God is faithful to save anyone who calls upon 
the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what does God do for Jonah? He saves him. Is Jonah still a knucklehead at the end of chapter 4? He is. And are we still knuckleheads in our lives and do something? We, we will. That's why I love the Bible. It's just realistic. But did God give up on him? The way God, the, because we end the book of Jonah by scratching our heads. Like you think, oh, Jonah, this encounter with God in the belly of the whale would change his whole life. He had an encounter. God saved him. He called out to him. But then in chapter 4, he's still mad because God didn't destroy Nineveh. And God, and God has this little, you know, heart-to-heart with Jonah. And he says, Jonah, come here. I love you. Come on, Jonah. Let me break your entitled heart. Jonah, I care about you. I saved you from the big fish. I had a plant grow up over your head because it was real sunny out to give you shade. I care about you. But you know what? I care about all those people in that city too who don't know me, who need to know me. And because you preach to them, they turn their hearts away from their wickedness. God is patient with you and I. Aren't you glad for his patience? Listen, I know it can get irritating with our world and with people you're praying for, but the way I want you to remember this, because this is our last week in, in the book of Jonah, the way I want you to remember this is this. Remember the pit, that God was faithful in the pit to Jonah, and he was patient with him, and he saved him. Don't lose sight of the magnitude and the depths that Jesus went to for you personally to save you. Have that same love and mercy and patience as we look at our world because they need a savior. Let me finish with this passage and we're going to take communion together. Peter, speaking to the religious elite at the time, said this about Jesus. He said, Jesus is this. He says, Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And what does he say about the salvation? Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is your help. Call out to him. When you're in despair, call out to him. When you're having a good day, call out to him. Right? Thank him. When you messed up again, call out to him. His grace is there to save you. Don't run from him. Run to him. He will not reject you. He will receive you and you will find healing and forgiveness in your time of need. Stop trying to save yourself. It will be an endless pursuit with no finish line. Jesus is your finish line. Come to him and let him do the restoration that needs to happen in your life. Amen? So we take communion once a month here at our church and sometimes we take it more and you've got a cup. If you didn't, there's some in the in, right as you walk in the door and um, We're going to take communion today as a church family. And as we take communion, as you, if you, if you break the little plastic tab there, it will help 
open the top foil, which will give you the wafer, the bread, and then the next foil there will, will release the, the juice. We take communion today. What we're doing is, Jesus says, whenever you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. When he was with his disciples in the Last Supper, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood. This is the covenant that I'm making for you, that I'm shedding my blood for you. I'm offering myself as a sacrifice for your sin. This is my body, which is given for you. Everything Jesus does, he does for us, for our benefit, so that we might be made righteous before God and stand before a holy God and receive eternal life and have covering for our sins. So every time we take communion, what we're doing is we're, we're remembering what Jesus did for you and I. That he and he alone is the only one that can cover our sins. That he and he alone is the only one that can give us eternal life. And that he and he alone is the only one that can truly save us. And we need a savior. And Jesus is the only way. And so, listen, um, Please don't take communion if, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet. That's fine. There's no judgment here. Uh, you don't have to take communion. That's fine. Um, but maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I want to come to Christ. Your prayer is just as valid as the prayer I'm going to say in just a minute. Because if your prayer is from your heart, God hears it. And he will save you. And we're going to pray together. And if you pray that prayer in your heart too, Take communion with us as the, as the family of God as we celebrate what Jesus did for us. So, Father God, we come before you this morning, and we are so unworthy. But, Jesus, you are worthy, and you've done everything for us. And because of our faith in you, we are now made righteous, and we are your children. So thank you, Jesus. We put our hope and you and you alone, and we know that salvation only comes through Christ. So receive us again, and I pray you'd cover us. Lord, as we come before you, you, we are frail, we are broken people, and we need you daily. And I thank you for your constant, constant grace in our lives. As your grace floods into our heart and our life, may your grace flow from our hearts and our lives to those who need to see who God truly is who Christ truly is. Help us, Lord. So we thank you for your forgiveness. And we thank you for what these emblems symbolize, your body that was given to us and your blood that was shed for us. You who were perfect took upon our sins and were treated, you were treated like us, sinners. We should have been on the cross, but you became our substitute to pay our penalty. And for that, we love you. And we are grateful in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and take the bread together and then, and then we'll take the cup together. Amen. And let's take the cup together, thanking the Lord for his precious blood. Amen. Amen. Can we thank the Lord this morning for his goodness and his word today? Amen. Amen.